It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the storied tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East, our weekly look at the teams, the coaches, players, and stories from the schools comprising the Big East Conference. John Rook, once again, with Providence Journal beat writer and author Kevin McNamara. Kevin, sometimes as we focus on the score and the wins and the standings of games, the stories during a basketball season just can't be measured this way hardly. Sometimes feelings get in the way just a little bit, I think. And as you get to know these coaches and players, when they get hurt, you get hurt a little bit, too. Case in point is Xavier's Edmund Sumner this week became the second top guard in the Big East to go down this season with an ACL tear in his knee. And, and you just feel for the young man, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when Creighton's Maurice Watson went down similarly, don't you? You know, John, uh, the injuries happen in sports, happen in college basketball, but you got to think that the Big East is a little cursed this year because these are two first-team all-league players, both Edmund Sumner from Xavier and Maurice Watson from Creighton. Uh, All-American-type players. Creighton was in the top 10. Xavier was in the top 25 uh, throughout the entire season. And now the teams have to regroup on the fly. They dealt a really tough, uh, tough card. Well, uh, certainly we feel for Xavier, the fans, uh, the basketball team, and, and, and Edmund Sumner as an outstanding talent. We've already seen him on some draft projections for next year, some of those lines. So uh, clearly there's a lot of people recognizing his ability, and we will hope for a speedy and a thorough comeback uh, over the course of the next few months. In the meantime, uh, updating the standings after Wednesday night's play, in particular the last conference games going into the weekend. Heading into the weekend, well, guess what? A familiar name is back up at the top of the Big East standings, Villanova's in first place at 8-2 and two after they held off Providence on Wednesday night. They've got a full one-game lead on Creighton at 7-3. and three. Are you surprised at all? No, I'm not, and uh, I give Villanova an awful lot, a lot of credit going on the road at Providence. Uh, they had a great win uh, against Virginia and a last-minute tip-in by Dante DiVincenzo when, when really they struggled offensively the entire game. I, I just think that Villanova keeps learning more and more about itself. They're a very different team from last season. Some new parts, some older players being put into different uh, leadership positions, and Jay Wright just has them keep chugging along. They're twenty-one and two, and eight and two in the Big East. Butler has lost a couple straight since tying Nova for the top spot a week ago. I know you'll remember our talking about it here on the program. They currently sit in third, and then after that, it kind of gets jumbled, doesn't it? It does, and it's tough to tell. You know, last week we thought Marquette had turned the corner. You know, they they beat Villanova at home and their biggest win in, in a long time, and then they. They lose to Providence and then, and then lose uh, at St. John's. But you know, John, I think we've what we've learned in the first half of this league is that there are no easy nights, and especially when you go on the road, you really have to play well in order to win. The teams that are winning on the road are winning truly in the last couple possessions. Uh, let's go back to Xavier for a moment. We just mentioned Edmund Sumner's uh, injury, but their win on Wednesday over Seton Hall, I thought, was big. From a confidence standpoint, at the very least, because they played without Sumner for the very first time just a couple of days after his injury. And then from there, a mere game and a half separates fifth through ninth place in the league. So, at least as far as I'm concerned, the way it looks, there's still some time for someone to make a move upward, it seems. No, everyone from Seton Hall, which is in ninth right now, Seton Hall has a, has a fortunate schedule. They end with five of their last eight at home. So they certainly they have plenty of time to, I shouldn't say plenty of time, time's a ticking. 
but they have plenty of opportunity, especially with some home games to get going. Just back on Xavier a little bit, uh, you mentioned the, the big win, last second win uh, against Seton Hall on Wednesday. Right. Trevon blew it with, with a last-minute shot. He, he's got to be the guy from, from here on in. He's had a very good season. He needs to be one of the top five players in the league the rest of the way. He had 24 points in that victory. So you're saying then if in the past, or at least in the recent past, Xavier might be leaning a little bit on Edmund Sumner, he's got to pick up that slack, right? He does, and uh, we definitely should mention uh, Sumner's replacement, a freshman, uh, Quinton Gooden, who was a very highly rated recruit. Uh, you know, I think Chris Mack would have preferred to have him play as you know, 15, 20 minutes as a freshman behind Sumner, but now he's he's going to play the entire game, and he stepped up in that very first game with eight points and seven assists. You know, and speaking of stepping up and replacing an injured player, you know, that's also happened at Creighton, and I and I thought they took a big step back in the right direction after kind of stumbling to find their way a little bit after Watson's injury. Hey, they won seventy six to sixty seven at Butler on Tuesday. I thought that was big in several different ways. That's an excellent win. You know, uh, excellent point, John. J- just getting some confidence back. Uh, th- their issue is going to be scheduled. You know, they they play uh they host xavier this weekend in a very tough game and then they go on the road for two road games so uh, you know it's going to be a challenge for creighton they're no longer a top 10 national team but i do think that they can be a top 25 and a dangerous ncaa tournament team i got to get one other team in here kev we got to talk about georgetown the hoyas have won three in a row after they lost six of their first seven to start big east play so uh, the hoyas are hot and two road games of those of those three, they went to Butler and uh, uh, and won at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and then uh, really had to grind out a win at DePaul, seventy six seventy three. So, putting a f- couple uh, road games in your back pocket, that that's only going to pay off down the stretch. Absolutely. Now we'll share a question with you that we received via Twitter earlier this week, a little bit later in the show. But in the meantime, you might have your own questions on your team, your coaches. Uh, the places you play, whatever it might be in the Big East Conference, we aim to please you. You can follow us on Twitter at JR Broadcaster and at Kevin McNamara33. Then tweet your questions to us. Use the hashtag TWITBE for this week in the Big East. Now, the Big East spotlight this week is in a familiar place, especially for a guy like Jay Wright at Villanova. The Wildcats head coach has had his team squarely in the bright lights over the past year, but this team is learning how to play a little bit differently because. They have to. We'll explain. Jay Wright joins us next, this week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. When a drive for excellence combines with social justice, there is energy. When entrepreneurial spirit is unified with a passion for service, there is power. At Marquette University, when we bring people who hold these convictions together, they ignite. They become agile thinkers, fearless leaders, and willing servants. The force that acts for good no matter what, ready to go forth and set the world on fire. Marquette University, be the difference. Big East Spotlight. With 11.5 seconds to go, Virginia 59, Villanova 59. Brunson has it in the middle of the floor. Brunson continued on the dribble. Five shots hard, four seconds to go. Josh Hart can attack the rim. Josh Hart down the lane, goes up, shot short. Tip it by Bucicento. Down it. That's win 61-59. You gotta love it. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I'm John Rook. You know, Villanova's Wildcats, after winning a national championship, thrilled a lot of fans around the country with the form and the fashion in which they went about getting 
getting that victory. But now they are the hunted. And this year, of course, a couple of losses already, but they've still managed through the halfway point of the Big East season to find themselves in first place in league play. Head coach Jay Wright joins us this week in the Big East. I'm curious to note, though, because a couple of losses, you had a big win this past week, though, uh, against Virginia. What's it like being the hunted now this year because you've got that national championship pedigree behind you? It's a challenge, John. It really is. Um, and, and not so much for the coaches because we, we, we've been around. But for young guys that, you know, it might be their second or third year of college basketball, it's, it's, it's college basketball in itself is a challenge now. They see people coming at them at a level they've never seen before. So mm-hmm. um, it's something we have to talk about all the time, something we have to address, something that sometimes gets us. It's the challenge of coming back after a year like that. I wouldn't trade that challenge for anything. Of course you wouldn't. But now that you have gotten halfway through the conference season this year, you still kind of find yourself up on top of the pile in the Big East Conference. So would you feel like it's been mission accomplished, what it is that you're trying to teach these guys, or is it an ongoing process for you? Definitely an ongoing process. I, uh, I, I feel like the conference this year is um, much more uh, up in the air than, than ever. I mean, anybody, you know, we say it a lot, but really anybody can be anybody in this league and, and especially uh, when they get them on their home court um, uh, you know our, our game at Butler was a great game and, and, and they got us you know our game at Marquette we thought we had the game under control uh, didn't do it and you've seen you know uh, Providence's ability to go on the road get Marquette uh, Creighton just going on the road getting Butler I mean it it's as good as it's ever been mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of the the old Big East because everybody's still alive because you're going to be playing against nationally ranked teams, so you got a shot to get high-level wins that can help you with the NCAA tournament. And certainly that's something that people now will be starting to think about as we hit the second half of the of the conference schedule. How do you feel like your team has developed knowing that you've had to carry this target on your back this year? Have you gotten the things out of your kids that you intended? Um, has there been any, any shortcomings that you've seen? Are there any, I guess the question I'm really trying to ask is, are there any drawbacks to winning a national title that have repercussions on down the line? There's no drawbacks, let me say that. But uh, there are um, challenges that come with it. And, and almost every coach that I spoke to that in the offseason, um, just to ask, you know, what, what, what did they experience mm-hmm. after winning a national championship? Almost everybody in some sense said there is definitely a hangover. Um, and that was the term they used the most. Um, and there is. Uh, but it... It doesn't have to kill you, you know. You, you got to just, uh, you, you got to be able to to deal with it. So, um, in terms of our development, we, you know, we're a lot different team than we thought we'd be. We, we thought we'd have Phil Booth, you know. We thought he'd be in the starting lineup. Uh, we thought we'd have Omari Spellman. We we thought he might be in the starting lineup. But not having them, I'm I'm really pleased with how everyone has stepped up. Mikael Bridges, I think it has accelerated his process. Uh, I think Dante DiVincenzo, it has accelerated. His level of improvement, uh, it has given Daryl uh, Reynolds a great opportunity to, mm-hmm. to be a starter and, and play a lot of minutes. It's putting a little bit more burden on Chris Jenkins and uh, Josh Hart. I think they've handled that well. Mm-hmm. But we still have a lot of work to do. So we, we've kind of, you know, within the last two, three weeks, kind of gotten the idea we're probably not going to have Phil Booth. We don't know yet, but we, we've been doing it for so sure. long. Yeah. we, we got to be committed to this 
rotation we have right now. Well, it seems then you've had other guys that have kind of filled in for Phil and what you thought you might have with him. And so, in a sense, I suppose that can be a, a good thing on down the line. But you're talking about some of your players there, and I wonder if you've learned anything that you didn't already know about either Josh Hart or Chris Jenkins. Obviously, Hart is a player of the year candidate this year. Jenkins hit a shot that's going to be remembered forever, I think, in college basketball history, which is really quite a burden to carry, I think, when you think about it. What have you learned about those two guys now that maybe you didn't know this time a year ago? I think you're right, John, about that shot. I, I have, uh, you know, I've never experienced that um, in, 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 in my career. And Scotty Reynolds hit a shot to get us to the Final right. Four, but it, it still doesn't compare to that one right. to win a national championship. To watch Chris handle uh, the questions about it, uh, just watch him handle his day-to-day life. It, it, it is not a part in any way of his makeup or his self-worth. I love it. I'm I'm actually amazed. I, I'm really impressed with. Uh, he's. I've heard him asked about it, and he says, um, you know, it's something that when I retire and mm. stop playing someday, yeah, I'll talk about it. I'll joke about it. And but right now, I'm concentrating on getting better every day. So I've. I've been very impressed with his maturity and humility. Um, Josh Hart, who was always kind of a character on our team, we always had great leaders in Archie Diakono and 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 Chefu and Darren Hilliard, Javon Pinkston. He he was always kind of the, the little kid they, you know, they 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 dragged along but could really play. <laughs> now he's the leader, and I'm I'm very impressed with his maturity. I'm very impressed with how he's handled it, uh, how he takes the responsibility seriously. And um, that's kind of surprised me a little bit. So I've, I've learned that about him. Well, I, I guess the, I would wrap this up certainly by, by asking you about this year's team in particular. You seem to have all the ingredients that you need to be able to make a, a nice, long, deep run again in March. But if there was one area that you really wish you could shore up that you kind of foresee in the not-too-far-distant future that could be a trouble point for you, what would you identify that as? Well, i got a couple areas. <laughs> so, Most coaches do, yeah. Well, first of all, depth. You know, if we, we have two young big guys, and one of those is hurt. Tim Delaney is out now, so we don't, we don't have him. But we have Dylan Painter. If we can get him to the point by the end of the season where he could give us depth, you know, that eighth man, that would really help the most, I think. Um, and then I think our, just our consistency defensively. We've been really good at times defensively. But we've been in games where we get leads and we relax defensively. We, we've got to we've got to develop that level of consistency that you know can can carry you through uh, games like Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, where you're not making shots. But we we haven't done that consistently enough. Speaking of Virginia, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this name out there that we haven't even touched on. Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he's grown up hugely. I think in a year's time. Yeah, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about him because he. Last year, he sacrificed in a way that very few McDonald's All-Americans ever would. He, he took a back seat. He, he started, but just distributed the ball to everybody, played his role, came back this year, uh, and, and just very efficient, very understated, making everybody else look good, uh, but making plays when we need him. Uh, a, a rare breed in today's world, just a, a really unselfish um, under-the-radar, consistent, clutch performer. A, a great kid to have on your team. Great kid to have on your team when you want to win basketball games. Yeah, exactly right? right. Exactly. Jay Wright is the head coach of Illinois Wildcats. Coach, thanks for taking some time for visiting with us. Best of luck to the Cats as the season rolls on. Thanks, my man. Great talking to you. You too. Jay Wright, head coach at Villanova. Much more coming up, including Who's Hot? That's next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, Who's Hot? This week in the Big East. To walk these classrooms, these fields, 
these courts is to walk in the footsteps of legends. Villanovans who have built a legacy of success, both in and out of the classroom. Bound by tradition, humility, and our commitment to each other, we are stronger together. We are fearless, relentlessly pushing ourselves to victory. We believe in Nova Nation and give ourselves to it totally, even when no one is looking. We are Villanova, and each of us strengthens all of us. Who's hot? This is Marcus Lovett. Cuts toward the left side. Throws it up and good. Marcus Lovett scores again. Blew it. Drives it into the corner. Seven keep seconds it, to go. It, Blew it, it in the lane. Hang. Shoots. Scores! With 4.4 seconds to go. Xavier leads 72-70. And ladies and gentlemen, the reports of the demise of the Creighton Blue Jays have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> the Creighton Blue Jays are going to come on the road to Hinkle Fieldhouse and defeat Butler. Final score, 76-67. to 67. Jays win. Jays win. Jays win. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Now, Kev, have there been any trends maybe you've seen repeated from any of these Big East stars that stand out to you? Has anyone really gone above and beyond lately in your estimation as we squarely enter the second half of conference play? You know, John, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, everyone has made a really big push nationally about the dominance of guards in, in college basketball this season. And, boy, the Big East certainly has a lot of them. Whether you're talking about, a, you know, big-time freshmen like Shamari Pons uh, or the wing guys like a Trevon Blewett, like a Keelan Martin, really good scores. Uh, LJ Peak has started to get going at Georgetown. Uh, really led the Hoyas to three wins in a row. Uh, Kyron Cartwright stepped up big time uh, in a win at uh, at Marquette for Providence. So I, I would say you know this is a all Big East has always been a really good backcourt league, and uh, it is once again this season. Yeah, it's kind of turning out to be that way. Funny you should mention a couple of those names in particular because the conference also did a pretty good job of recognizing who's hot, and they'll be on the honor roll. We'll talk about it in a moment. But the Big East Player of the Week was Xavier's Trevon Blewett. We talked about him off the top of the program. Junior guard stepped up to the tune of 30.5 points and seven rebounds per game in a one-in-one week last week for the Musketeers. That also included a league game-high 40-point game in a loss at Crosstown rival Cincinnati. And then after that came a 21-point, 10-rebound double-double in a win over St. John's. And then he hit the eventual game winner with four seconds left in that 72-70 win over Seton Hall on Wednesday, finishing that game with another 24 points and seven boards. Quite a week for Mr. Blewett. I'll say, you know, I, I watched the Cincinnati game closely on, on television. Obviously, that's a big-time crosstown shootout game. Uh, you know, two top 25 teams, two very dangerous teams, two teams that do not like each other, and blew it was big-time. You know, uh, uh, Cincinnati did win, protected its home court, did an excellent job. He had 40 points, as you say, uh, John. He was on fire from downtown. I think he had eight three-pointers. Wow. Well, he deserves the honor without a doubt. That's a big-time play. He needs to be big for Xavier to remain at the top of the league standings and, and to really have serious considerations in March. You know, Chris, Chris Mack is one of the better coaches in the country. Uh, to, to change your entire offense on the fly is a real, real challenge. That's exactly what Xavier has to do. But he has the pieces. You know, uh, they've recruited very well over the years. It's just we're going to see what their young players, like we mentioned already, uh, Quinton Gooden can do running the show. Big East Rookie of the Week this week, 
You mentioned him, Kevin. St. John Shamari Pons. He averaged 22.5 points in a one-on-one week for the Red Storm. Pons hit four of five from three in a road win at Providence. He also went six at six at the line to seal the win in the last minute of that game. Uh, he hit for 23 and a loss to Xavier. And Pons is the top rookie scorer overall in the Big East at better than 17 points per game. The combination, we've talked about them from the start of the year. The combination of Pons and his freshman classmate, Marcus Lavette, is really difficult to handle. And uh, Bashir Ahmed, the uh, junior college player, uh, has consistently scored for uh, for St. John's as well. He, he had 23, I believe, in the uh, in the home win over Marquette. Uh, that was a performance that Chris Mullen called his team's best of the year. So you would think oftentimes in February the young guys get worn down a little bit. It's not happening with the Red Storm. St. John's has five Big East wins after getting only one a year ago. Red Storm looked like they're coming back a little. You know, I... I had St. John's with one more rebuilding year to, to finish in the in the eight nine ten uh, you know grouping in the Big East. That's not going to happen. Uh, they've proven to be dangerous, clearly gaining confidence, and they have that big stage to play on too, John, at Madison Square Garden. On the Big East honor roll this week, Butler's Keelan Martin averaged eighteen and a half points, seven and a half rebounds in a one and one week for the Bulldogs. He also had a ten point eleven rebound double double uh, in that mix in a win at Seton Hall. Creighton's Justin Patton, 17-6 and six in two games for the Blue Jays, also shot 68% with the floor. Uh, you mentioned him earlier, Kev, Georgetown's L.J. Peak. He's already been a player of the week. He's on the honor roll this week. He hit for 21 points, three boards, five and a half assists in two Hoya wins. Providence's Kyron Cartwright almost single-handedly led the Friars to a first-ever win at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee over Marquette. And then Nova's Mikel Bridges, he may not get a whole lot of his team's spotlight, but he does do things well. He scored 17.5 points per game in two starts for the Cats last week, including uh, team-high 15 as it was in their win over 12th-ranked Virginia. Well, our Big East focus this week zooms right back in on a member in this field, and when you watch one of the best guards in the country do his thing for a year, and then he leaves, and now it's your turn to take over, what kind of pressures do you really face? We're going to ask that of the Friars' Kyron Cartwright next this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. At Butler University, we've been called underdogs. We prefer overachievers. Here you'll be challenged to put your education into practice in the real world and gain the career experience to prepare you for the road ahead. So four years from now, your biggest challenge will be deciding which job offer to take. No matter where you end up, we'll help you get there. Butler Bulldogs aren't born. They're made. Plan your visit at butler.edu. Big East Focus. It's saved by Bullock Cart right up the sideline with three, with two, drives at the hoop at the buzzer. Cut in! Good hoop. It goes in, and that should be good. That's good. Good move by Cartwright right there as he just was a blur out there. He's got the loose ball, looked up at the clock, beat all the defenders down the court, made a nice shot. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. You know, over the course of the past four decades that the Big East has been playing basketball, it's kind of hard to keep track of all of the players who have been stars and what has happened to them along the lines. You certainly can get a good measure of where everybody has gone on to. Some have gone on to the pros. Others have gone on to become successful businessmen. Some have gone into the coaching ranks. What has happened so much to the players who have come in and replaced the stars? That's kind of where we're going to go with this today. 
Chris Dunn was a two-time player of the year uh, at Providence College over the last two years in the Big East, and everybody knows that he's gone on and, and become a first-round draft pick of the Minnesota Timberwolves in the NBA. His replacement this year is a junior by the name of Kyron Cartwright out of Compton, California. Kyron joined us this week in the Big East. I'd just kind of like to know what you thought when you first got recruited by Providence, knowing that a kid like Chris was in front of you, and what you feel like you could do at that time, and whether or not you've met those expectations. Um, you know, coming in after being recruited, you know, you never know as a young freshman, I was really small if you're going to play right away and things like that. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily the concern for me. I thought that uh, we had a great staff, great program. I wanted to be a part of it. I thought the team had a lot of great guys. And uh, I just tried to, you know, whatever coach wanted me to do, that was my goal. I mean, I set out to do it, you know. With with that, you know, your role becomes greater, and then you can kind of grow into things. You know, uh, sometimes you have to wait, and uh, patience is a key, and it's not something you see a lot nowadays. You know, everybody who doesn't get their way just kind of transfers. Kind of going off John's question there, Karen, the good news is that uh, you got to play alongside Chris and played a really big role in two NCAA tournament teams, and now you're the full-time starter. Could you have imagined your first three years playing out like this because, as everyone knows, you were really supposed to uh, go to Loyola Marymount and stay home. Uh, you're a California kid. I mean, I, I didn't know how it would go. Uh, obviously, every game had to be played. But in hindsight, I think I was very fortunate. You know, uh, we ended up with a lot of really good situations. I was very fortunate to be able to play in the NCAA tournament twice already. Uh, it's just kind of kind of something I got to brag about in the family. You know, my brother never made it. So, I, I, I mean, I like it. Well, that's right. Your brother played at Iowa, correct? Yes. All right, so now that you've kind of got that experience behind you just a little bit, and, and now that you get to assume the mantle, and you have done so thus far this year for the Friars, uh, what's it like being the guy that gets looked up to, and how is that different from the role that you played the last couple of years? Uh, a lot of times, you know, the younger guys, you're kind of who they look to in certain situations because you've been there before. And uh, sometimes it's just like a lot, a lot of more, uh, a lot more pressure on you. Um, obviously, the coaches don't put that pressure on you, but you yourself have your own expectations that you want to live up to as a leader. And uh, sometimes when you when you're not playing your best, it just kind of weighs on you. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this a million times in your three years, but uh, as John uh, introduces you, you're straight out of Compton. Uh, you're also a long way from Compton right now uh, and have come all the way to the East Coast. Do you miss California? Do you, do you tell kids on campus and friends what, what California is all about? I mean, I do miss California, but not necessarily. You know, I miss my family, I miss the weather. But I think um, me getting away from home, was kind of important for me, you know, growing up wise. You know, I came to college when I was pretty young, still pretty young now, but I don't think I would have had the opportunity to, you know, learn and make decisions on my own as much as I do now if I was back home living, you know, 20 minutes away from where I actually live. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of helped me a lot growing as a person. Just about to say, part of the growing process, right? Everybody knows at some point in time you've got to grow up. It certainly looks like you've kind of uh, uh, taken that, you know, opportunity and made the most of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, being on a college campus away from my parents, you know, I still talk to them frequently. But, you know, 
a lot of the things you would normally go to help for them for. You know, you don't always get to do that anymore. And I, I mean, I think that's helped my decision making for life. Just talk about who you've really enjoyed or who you've maybe not enjoyed it. Who's been the toughest matchups besides Chris Dunn for two years in practice here in the Big East, which obviously it's a league filled with really good guards? Um, I'll say Creighton. We had some pretty interesting games with Creighton uh, the other year, last year. Uh, pretty interesting games with Georgetown as well. I would say those are probably the two teams for me. It's curious that you pick Creighton because obviously uh, Maurice Watson, uh, such a great player for them, and he obviously he's had a, a knee injury that's knocked him out for the rest of this year. But uh, you and I have had this conversation before, and I know a lot of uh, college basketball fans would recognize that Maurice Watson is one of the fastest players in the country from end line to end line. But I'd have to put you right up there as well. How did you develop the kind of speed that you have? I think you have a little bit of a track background in your family, do you not? Yeah, my dad ran track and cross country, and. Uh, just kind of came natural. Uh, just, I think I've always been fast, but just as I came from high school, transition to college, I just started to figure out how to play mm-hmm. with that speed. I was just going to say, you faster with the basketball or without it? Oh, it depends if I get the rebound or not. <laughs> <laughs> if I get the rebound, I'm out, I'm running. Well, that, that's actually a good way to be because that's the way that you guys have played a lot this year uh, in transition, try to you know get easy baskets, score off your defense, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think uh, we do play a lot of transition basketball. I think that's one of the times that we're at our best, and uh, it's really fun to play that way. Just to discuss kind of how the season is going for the Friars, no seniors, uh, obviously in a bit of a rebuilding mode, but you've also had some really promising uh, outings, and I'm sure you want to close the season strong. Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel that we we had uh, you know a lot of close games. We let a couple of them slip. I feel, in my opinion, but I think it just comes with our focus and our discipline. I just think we have to bring that to uh, better intensity. You know, stay locked there for a full 40 minutes, and I think the outcomes of the games will change. Well, you've still got half of the Big East season basically to go to certainly uh, make your mark in this league. But there's two burning questions i got to ask you before we let you go. Number one, I know you're a fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I assume a lot of that is because you like their style of play, maybe even like Westbrook. Who knows? Why are you a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals? How did that happen? Because I saw that on one of your bio sheets, and, and again, I've asked you about it, and I'm not sure I ever got a, a really good answer from you on that one. Um, USC was my hometown school growing up, you know, watching, went to a lot of the football games and stuff like that. And uh, Carson Palmer got, uh, went to the Bengals. And every time I'll play video games, I'll play with the Bengals and I would kind of switch out the quarterbacks, you know. And then I always played with the Bengals. It just grew on me, <laughs> just became my favorite team. And then even though he left, I just kind of stuck with the team. I was about to say, see, Kevin, old habits are hard to die, aren't they? John, we don't play video games like these guys do. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not at this level. Kyron, thanks for taking the time of visiting with us. Good luck to you and the Friars the rest of the way. Thank you. The National Perspective is next, and one of ESPN.com's best college hoop writers is also the author of a great read about the national title run Villanova had last season. Dana O'Neill knows the Cats a bit, and she shares with us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. 
be a VIP and experience select NCAA championships the best way possible with the NCAA experience. Packages for select championships, including the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship and Men's Final Four, can include game tickets, pregame VIP hospitality access, hotels, and much more. Official NCAA experience ticket and hospitality packages are available now at NCAA.com slash VIP. Secure your VIP package today to experience it live. National Perspective. Bridges, now Hart has it, spinning, layup good. Cats lead by four, make that a 12-0 run for Villanova. The crowd is rocking. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. You know, for those that have covered college basketball for a long time, I think the goal is always to try to put something down that is everlasting, that means something. And a well-known college basketball sports writer for ESPN.com, in fact, she's an ESPN senior writer, if you will. Her name's Dana O'Neill. Dana has had an opportunity to follow the Villanova basketball program for a number of years. She used to write for the Philadelphia Daily News. She's covered Jay Wright since she's been at Villanova for a long time. But last year, as the Wildcats were going through the process of winning a national championship, Dana got a chance apparently to kind of document what it was like to go through during the course of the season. She's got a new book out on Villanova's run to the title called Long Shots, and she joins us here this week in the Big East. So, Dana, first of all, what gave you the idea for the book, and and how prescient were you in in trying to decide that Villanova had a chance to make a real run here? You know, it's actually funny. I wish I could say that I was smart enough to document everything and, and thought this could happen. I was standing on the court after Villanova won that national championship trying to kind of get my wits about me, as I think every writer was after that great game. And a friend of mine, Pat Forty, grabbed me by the arm and said, you really should write a book. You know this team better than anybody. And I thought, well, I just got to write a game story right now. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but when I got back home, I thought about it because I had been with the program in one capacity or the other for such a long time. And I thought, you know what? I really should write a book. I know this team really well, and if I walk into Barnes & Noble and somebody else did, I'm going to be really angry. So I just made a few phone calls to some friends from ESPN and who had written books, and they hooked me up with a publisher, and all of a sudden I was writing a book. I mean, I had been with them for such a long time and spent a lot of time around the program this past season. So I knew what had happened, but, you know, you have to go back and really get your wits about you. So it, it was sort of a little bit fly by the seat of my pants but i did it <laughs> we like that though that's how we're it's that's how these things happen by the seat of your pants yeah. sometimes yeah yeah and and exactly. chris and chris jenkins's uh fingertips you know we gotta we got uh, thank, right. thank give chris him some credit lot. yeah uh, dana just take us back to just, just remind everyone how long you have been around the program as as a sure. beat writer first and, and uh the context that that helped you uh you know take on this project yeah, so I was at the Philadelphia Daily News prior to ESPN, and I was assigned the Villanova beat about the second year in, which also happened to be the year that Jay Wright was hired. So I was there from his first press conference and covered the team for eight years running, of course, you know, through a lot of stuff. I mean, when they recruited a great freshman class of Randy Foy and Alan Ray and Jason Frazier and Curtis Sumter, and then they didn't succeed right away. Then they had some NCA issues and really all the way up until they kind of got pretty good. And then I went on to ESPN when they went to the Final Four. But, you know, they're still a national program. So I was still very much involved with them. And and I've known Jay for 20 years now. So I've always stayed in touch with him and what's going on. And he's always been very candid. I mean, you know, if you cover Jay, right, he's not – he's one of the few people that you can just really talk to as a coach and he'll just tell you what's going on. So he was always great to deal with. And I sort of watched the trail that he was on and 
once I left the Daily News and I was at ESPN, occasionally, you know, we'd write some stories that were relevant to the program, and he was always very open and honest with me. So I just sort of had all of that in my wheelhouse um, and kind of saw how he built the program early, how it kind of fell apart in the middle, and then how he rebuilt it late, which I thought was the most amazing thing because a lot of coaches, I think, get caught up in that middle part where it falls apart and they don't know how to fix it, and he fixed it. So that's, to me, what was even more compelling almost in this entire national championship of that great game. I'm just going to go back to that run leading up to, you know, it's been such a great run at Villanova, but uh, I believe it was oh. Six was the year that everything finally popped for them, and you mentioned Alan mm-hmm. Ray and Randy Foy, and I think Kyle Lowry was only a sophomore at the time. Yep. Uh, I think they lost to Florida in, in the Elite Eight. Uh, it was kind of an upset, you know, a bit of a letdown. Can you take us from maybe that year to to, to last season because they've been knocking yeah. they've been knocking on the door for a long time. Yeah, they really have, and and you know, I it's funny because I've had this conversation with Jay repeatedly and, and you mentioned Kyle Lowry and I always have said that he was the one player I thought that changed that program entirely because as great as Randy and Alan and Kurt and Jason were they were missing sort of an attitude you know Jay used to say they were too nice Kyle brought that attitude I remember a game they played Kansas in a snowstorm in Philadelphia and Kyle got ejected for throwing a punch and they came on and they beat Kansas Kansas was number one and I thought that was the moment that that team sort of arrived um, and it was because of Kyle and so, yeah, and then they got really good. And, and with Scotty Reynolds in 09 making that great, you know, you know, coast-to-coast basket against Pitt, they get to the Final Four, and it looks like everything is rolling. And Jay said at that point he really thought they were rolling. And then they kind of fell apart. They went down as far as 13 and 19. He started to recruit kids that weren't bad kids. I'm always careful to say that, but they weren't the kind of kids he wanted to recruit. He, they were the kind of kids he thought he was supposed to recruit. And for a couple of years there, they were in the wilderness. Uh, and then he sort of got back to his roots with, with Ryan Archidiacono and Daniel Ochescu. That class that he recruited when they were freshmen was a real reaction to what they hadn't been. Then, of course, they, they get good again, but they can't win in the NCAA tournament. They can't get past the first round. And everyone sort of thinks that they're basically a fraud. You know, they're playing in a new Big East that nobody really knows how good is this league. They look pretty on paper. They're winning all these games, and then they get into the first and second round, and off they, they're going home. So it was a lot of stuff leading up to this past season, and what I saw this season, what they always said was, this season, when it started, they stopped caring about what people thought. They stopped caring. The people kept saying they can't win this team, and they just started to play basketball. And that's, I mean, they annihilated people, if you remember. They were beating people just crazy all through that tournament. I think that was just a general reaction of, I'm not going to worry about this pressure anymore, which is really hard to do. So it was an amazing, amazing run, I think, to this championship, just how the arc of how they got there. Dana O'Neill, who, of course, is a senior writer for ESPN, ESPN.com. She's the author of book on Villanova's championship season, Long Shots, joining us this week in the Big East. It sounds a lot, Dana, like you have kind of grown up a little bit along with coinciding with Jay Wright's growing up as a coach. <laughs> so how has that helped you provide you the insight, you know, in an effort to be able to write the true story of what happened last year? Are there parallels there? Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because, yeah, I mean, I was a young reporter, relatively young, and he was a young coach. And I'm not sure either one of us really knew what we were doing when he started um, at, at Villanova. And we sort of figured it out a little bit along the way. And What's interesting about Jay is I don't think he's changed dramatically. I think he's still as approachable as he's ever been. I think he still cares about the right things. I think he still wants to coach the right people. But he's so much smarter in that he knows 
how to how to handle people and how to handle all this around him. And and he really has gotten to that beautiful point that I think coaches, once they get to a certain point in their career, get to. They don't care anymore either. He says things that he he doesn't he doesn't feel like he has to protect himself. He doesn't feel like he has to hide. He says what's true and what's real. And I think seeing him evolve from that sort of young hot coach. Everyone loves the tab, the hot young coach. That's who he was when he left Hofstra. So sort of this more seasoned version of himself that hasn't changed much, but just has matured. I think has been re- really a revelation, and and that's why this team is what they are. I think it takes a lot of courage, especially in this day and age, to say, I'm not going to chase every one-and-done kid, even if they're knocking on my door. And they have been knocking on his door. I'm going to only chase the ones that I think that I really want to take in that fit. He, he stopped caring about, I should take a kid because I'm supposed to take a kid. And he takes a kid because he thinks he wants to take the kid. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard place to be this day and age, because you are judged as much by your recruiting class, unfortunately, as you are your your final record he's really figured it out that certainly is the culture that we've uh, we've developed yeah. into uh, dana last one is uh, I, I have read a chunk of, a big chunk of the book and I, really everyone if, if you're like the big east and certainly love villanova please go out and get long shots uh but you, you really focus on that last shot uh in <laughs> th- throughout the entire uh book and, and uh, for understandable reasons why it may be the most make it on is the most famous winning shot in the history of the final four um, of the sport, of, of the sport. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. everlasting uh, memory for sure. Um, what did you learn about that shot that uh, you know maybe you didn't know after only that first night? Yeah, it's funny because you know, as a writer, Kevin, you understand. I mean, and, I, and I'm right, I'm used to writing small here. I'm not used to writing a book. I needed something to carry me through the book to make sure I can tell this whole story. I needed a narrative, and I decided that using the. the that shot and I'm just watching it. I've joked. I guess I watched it like the Zapruder film. I've watched it so on slow mo so many times to figure out how they actually did it. So I used that to tell the story. And what I learned was that play really was emblematic of what that entire team and what the program that Jay Wright has tried to build is about. Because for that play to work, especially in that instance, some strange things had to happen. Daniel Chefu had to mop the floor because he was concerned about where he was going to set a screen. Chris Jenkins had to recognize that there was nobody on him inbounding the ball. And Ryan Archidiakono had to make the most selfless play in the history of college basketball. You know, a kid who's been a four-year starter decides to pass in the national championship game-winning shot. That, that's unheard of. But all of those things had to happen exactly right for that team to win the title. And I think the reason it happened is because that is the way that team has been raised, if you will, and that program has been raised. It's not about doing a bunch of bold highlight real things it's about doing a bunch of little things and if you do a bunch of little things and you connect the dots you win a championship and that play that's why that happened that play doesn't happen if every single person doesn't do the exact same exact right thing at the right time and I just thought it was fascinating I really did you know Chris Jenkins went down as the hero and and deservedly so for hitting the shot but I have contended that Ryan Archidiakono was the hero because he made the pass. Sure. And Daniel Cheffa was the hero because he set a screen. And, you know, just every person on that team had to fulfill a role for one play to work. Right. And, you know, we've all seen guys try to play hero ball, and it doesn't work. Sure. And they didn't. Dana, where can people get the book? Where can fans get the book if they haven't read it yet? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Barnes & Noble and, you know, your good old neighborhood bookstore will have it, Amazon.com. 
has them in stock, and triumphbooks.com. That's the publisher. They all have them and available there to uh, go take a gander. Who's got next? Well, actually, uh, <laughs> we've got next, and we'll tell you all about it coming up this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next this week in the Big East? Xavier University. It's a place where learning extends beyond the classroom, where students learn more by doing more and discover new truths about their world and themselves, where passion meets purpose, where students blend mission and meaning and live lives that truly matter. That's the Xavier way. Learn more about what a Xavier education can do for you at xavier.edu. Who's got next? Outside for Foster. Looks down low for Clement. He has to reverse out. Wide open three. Cole Huff. Yes, sir! Great ball movement. Creighton Blue Jays. And Creighton has taken a two-point lead on an 9-0 run. John Rook, Kevin McNamara with you this week in the Big East. And, Kev, we might start to get a clearer picture in that muddied middle of the Big East after this weekend. Saturday, we'll start it off with Creighton entertaining Xavier in Omaha. I don't know if that'll be actually any entertainment value for the Musketeers, but we'll see about that one. And how about the red-hot Hoyas of Georgetown going for four in a row? They'll be at home against Seton Hall. Well, we've talked about uh, the losses of Watson and uh, Sumner, and both of those teams hooking up in a very important game uh, on national TV on Fox on Saturday, in a show which will be a sold-out crazy uh, arena in Omaha. Yeah, no question about it. Marquette, after two huge top ten wins and two stunning losses to follow, they play at DePaul and try to get back on track. And St. John's, they'll get a supreme test <clears throat> at Villanova. Both of those games coming up again Saturday. Well, you know, John, we, if you lose two in a row in this league, it can really do some damage. So to turn it around quickly is really important for a team like Marquette, uh, which was, you know, looking at the NCAA tournament a week ago, now it's a little fuzzy. To win at DePaul and then come home and defend your home court against Butler, that'll be a good way to get back on your feet. Early next week, we're going to get a look forward to Georgetown and Villanova on Tuesday. That's Big East old school right there. Butler playing at Marquette, and then Providence plays at Seton Hall on Wednesday. That's got to be a game, I think, with postseason implications on down the line, don't you think? Both of those teams, Providence and uh, the Seton Hall Pirates, are in that kind of muddled middle to kind of creeping toward the bottom of that Big East. So be able to get going and, and get back out of the – no one wants to finish in the bottom four, John, and, and be in that position for the Big East tournament. And right now both Providence and Seton Hall are kind of on the edge. Quick Twitter question this week comes from a Xavier basketball fan who asks us clearly, the loss of Edmund Sumner hurts Xavier, but how much in the big picture of things? And we talked a little bit about this in the, the beginning of the program. Uh, a lot. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. Again, when you take a first-team all-league guy, potential first-round draft pick out of your team for February and certainly into March, it's a huge loss. There's no two ways about it. I guess the good thing, Xavier fan, is I would think you'd have Edmund Sumner back again next year, which if he went out with a really big March, I think he would have entertained NBA draft, uh, jump to the draft. Uh, that said, again, Chris Mack is an excellent coach. There's plenty of talent there. Uh, they'll be in the NCAA tournament. I just don't know if they can be a second weekend team without Sumner. Exactly. Our thanks today to Villanova head coach Jay Wright, Providence guard Kyron Cartwright, and ESPN.com college hoop writer and author Dana O'Neill for joining us. Thanks also go out to the flagship stations at Xavier, Providence, and Creighton for their assistance this week. 
Thanks, as always, to our producer, Kevin Collins, and to the coaches and administrators at all 10 Big East member institutions. And Kevin McNamara is doing a little double duty covering the Super Bowl in Houston this week. Kev, way to go. Way to be around to, you know, think about a little college hoop along the way. John, uh, th- th- Super Bowl week is fun, but at night not much happens, so I just watch Big East basketball. boy, I like that. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook, and don't forget to tweet us your questions using the hashtag TWITBE. We will be back same time next week, this week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools, Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Xavier, as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.